0: Hi there guys. Welcome to this week's Road to Qatar podcast. This is episode six. In this week's podcast, we're basically just going to be running through the knockout stages. We're going to be also obviously looking at some of the highlights during these early games. Uh, So Holland against America, Argentina against Australia, Brazil also played last night against South Korea, and then we're also going to be mentioning obviously England and their superb performance against Senegal. So we're going to start with Brazil. Obviously last night, They had a very straightforward game against South Korea. It was more or less won in that first half. South Korea did get a consolation goal in the second half, which was potentially a candidate for goal of the tournament. What a strike that was. But focusing on Brazil in that first half, Charlie, what do you feel um, is the potential of this Brazil side? Can they get to the final and can they go all the way and win this tournament? Because they were absolutely superb. I think all their attacking stars kind of gelled well last night. They seemed a well-oiled machine and it's... It's something that's exciting for a lot of the fans.
1: Yeah, I think they they definitely have got a big chance getting into the final. I can definitely see them as favourites for winning the World Cup as well. The way they've played against teams in the group stages, obviously apart from uh, their last group game where they did lose against Cameroon.
0: But I feel that that was mainly complacency. I think that yeah. they did rotate heavily. I they think did, yeah. Talking about that, um, Brazil actually became the first ever side to um, use all 26 members of their squad Tite's been heavily rotating during this um, early stages of the tournament and yeah. he brought on the his third choice goalkeeper last night, which meant that all of his players, every single one in the squad, had now played at this tournament for the first time um, kind of in the history of the World Cup. Yeah. But obviously going back to what you were saying, um, you know, how brilliant were Brazil last night?
1: They they did. They were really good. Uh, in that first half, literally, you, you could see they were already going through. They scored a really good team goal, uh, which was finished off by Richarlison. I think, uh, I think he's been a very underrated striker, in my opinion. I think, he's, think? I think he's someone to look out for in this tournament because I mean he, he scored two goals. Uh, yeah, first he's got two three goals. all together. Yeah. So I, th- I think he's uh, Brazil's top scorer uh, in this World Cup at the moment. Isn't yeah, he? definitely. Yeah.
0: Obviously, Neymar's had two games out. I mean, how important did you see the return of... Are very fit and also inform Neymar to this Brazil side because he is on paper their talisman
1: it was very key yeah um I know obviously he only scored a penalty but throughout that game I think he he showed um you know a lot on that pitch right? what's your
0: take on this new penalty style I mean I don't know did you see the Brazil penalty? I did yeah it, it was obviously lewandowski did it as well against I think Argentina um at the weekend they kind of do this stutter and then they almost I don't know there's a a little bit of hesitation and then they do a jink and then they go for this penalty and they do a little pass. Yeah. It's almost like they're trying to trick the goalkeeper and I'm not a big fan, I must admit.
1: No, Um. so I remember um, going back to the previous the uh, Euros, Um, they, there was like quite a few players who'd take penalties like that and it often didn't work.
0: Well, obviously, I mean, Jorginho and Bruno Fernandes, they're renowned for it in terms of doing the little hop. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's all about kind of taking the goalkeeper...
1: Yeah, but it's weird how. But yeah, yeah I, go on. Sorry, I just I think I don't understand why I do. they do like this stutter. Yeah. um like before they take it, they they're basically waiting for the goalkeeper to move. It to me, it doesn't make any make any sense for why I think they should just do a normal run up because they've probably got a better chance. I know, obviously, they want to try and trick the goalkeeper. Oh yeah,
0: out. to and, me, it's almost this flamboyance. It's kind of being a little bit too arrogant. I mean, Neymar. Yeah. In all honesty, I've got to agree with Roy Keane last night. He he got on my nerves at certain points in the game. I mean, he was doing kind of a silly celebration where he was kind of doing, you know, you can't see it obviously on the podcast, but he was putting his hands to his head and kind of doing these kind of gimmicks. And then obviously the whole team, they got involved in a celebration um, doing the pigeon. um, Obviously Tite as well, uh, which was obviously Richarlison's (laughs) celebration. But I just think it's gone a little bit over the top. Um, I know that they're talking about this being Brazil's culture, this being all about kind of Brazil as a country and them expressing themselves. Um, but I have to agree with Roy Keane, who said it was like Strictly come dancing out there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just, I felt it was a little bit disrespectful to South Korea, especially when they were 4-0 up.
1: Yeah, and I i feel like that's what I hate, really, when um, like, especially celebrations like that, it just sort of, it really it brings a lot of hate towards the country, especially as well. Which is not something you don't want to see, really, or, or do. But I mean, especially you know the loss. The, it was like a four-one, and they didn't do well in the first half. And I think for the celebration like that, it's just not it's not good enough.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, you're probably thinking back to uh, the foot champs, Obviously, We know when a, t- a player does a silly celebration, and yes, you're screaming, yeah. and your controller's been broken. Yeah. But um, no, looking at that game, obviously. It possibly might be a South American semi-final if obviously Argentina beat Holland and then Brazil beat Croatia. Yeah. Who are you picking out of those two looking forward kind of further down the line? Are you going with Argentina, obviously Messi, or are you going with Brazil and Neymar? Uh,
1: I mean, Argentina is, it, it's a bit of a, it's like a shaky one for me because I think without yeah. Bessie, how good are that team really?
0: Well, I actually disagree. You- I think that watching them in that Australia game something that they've lacked in the past is that they've lacked this sense of camaraderie, this sense of com- community as a team. Mm. And I felt that what cro- what got them over the line against Australia, where Australia were probably the better team in the second half, they scored that lucky goal, they kind of came alive, and Argentina were under a lot of pressure. And what's, what seems this Argentina team has is a little bit of grit, something about them where they pull together as a team. I mean... I think there was a late um, save by Martinez to deny um, one of the Australian players right at the death of the match. And they all jumped on him. They all kind of gathered together, the defenders. They were kind of, you know, blessing the sky. And that, to me, is this sense of spirit that I think's important and can win a team a tournament, you know, if they've got this sense of unity as a team.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I do agree with you there, I suppose, Um I, feel, I just feel as if the way, the way both teams have gone, I feel as if Brazil have sort of done more, really, I think, in yeah, this tournament. Yeah. I think the way that, like, the players, like, I, feel, I feel as if they have more options uh, on the bench oh, definitely, compared yeah. to Argentina.
0: It's also the sense that I think Argentina, they've underwhelmed in my eyes. Yeah. Going into the tournament, they had a 38-game unbeaten run. You know, they'd won the Copper America. I expected them to play this entertaining football. Yes. And they lost the opening game to Saudi Arabia. They were fortunate against Mexico, I felt. They were a little bit flat against Poland. And then they've obviously just beat Australia. There's not really been a wow moment. Obviously, we have got that from Brazil in that last game against South Korea.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'll be interested to see how they do get on against Croatia because I think there's... Well, I mean, there is a lot of stake. Here. I think Croatia. Obviously, they've been a great team as well uh, so far. In this, yeah, Croatia, uh, to me,
0: obviously, they seem another team similar to what I said about Argentina. Who have got that? They've got that strength. They've got that kind of mental fortitude. Where obviously they've just won a penalty shootout um, against Japan. Yeah. They seem a team that are hard to beat. Even if they go behind, they always come back and they always find a way. So I think that, like you say. Uh, Croatia for Brazil might be a completely different challenge and might be more of a an obstacle
1: Yeah I think um, I'll, I'll be interested interest to see how that game goes Really, I know obviously Croatia sometimes they struggle to get results uh, obviously the, they came, early came second in the group as well which was quite a surprise to everyone but um, no, I'm looking I'm looking forward to see how that game goes really. I think it'll be a very close one
0: And then obviously looking at some of the other knockout games um, Holland against USA Yeah what a goal that was.
1: First goal was really good, really good. Good good team goal in general. Um finish off well by the players. Oh, nothing else you could say that really about it. To me
0: it. everyone loves a blockbuster, everyone loves a screamer. Yes. But there's something, you know, there's something delicate and elegant about um kind of that tiki taka style goal where, you know, they're in their own half, they play out and around uh, the USA. And then it's a brilliant finish from Depay, who gets in the right position, and they just completely carve open that USA defence. And it's actually, I felt in that game, it was almost a wake-up call for Holland, where they've been very poor and they've been heavily criticised in the group stage yeah. for not really, um, for not really living up to the DNA of, of Dutch football, where they, in the past, they've played this counter-attacking, expansive style, yeah. and I felt that actually. They returned to that in the game against America, where they looked well oiled. They looked professional. They looked a side that could be dangerous, and I think they will pose Argentina problems in the quarterfinals.
1: Yeah, I think uh, that that will be uh, interesting uh, to watch. Really, I think um, you you. I mean, you look at Netherlands, and they they're not the way they've done previously. You wouldn't think they're exactly a great um, team coming into this
0: tournament. Yeah, I definitely, but, I pitched them as being just below the top favourites. Yes. They're kind of, they're a good side, but they're not at that top level yet. They're still yeah. missing maybe a main striker or missing a little bit more um kind of form to really reach that top level where you'd put them with Brazil, France, Argentina.
1: Yeah, and that and I'd like to see how they'd get on against teams like that as well, really, because they've so far gone against, you know, Ecuador, Qatar, Senegal. Obviously they did draw uh, to Ecuador. But I mean Ecuador were quite a good side You'd, there you'd as well. say though
0: that obviously they are um kind of smaller teams compared to Holland. Exactly, they were the favourites. Yeah. yeah. So now becomes the real hard part for Louis Van Gaal and his side, where they've yeah. got to step up.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it'll, it's definitely a tough contest. There's no doubt. I think the way I think, like the the wins that uh, Netherlands have had, it should give them confidence going forward. It's just whether or not they can uh, handle the tough test against big teams like Brazil or Argentina or even Croatia.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see Memphis Depay getting back to his best as well and, and kind of coming back from injury because it is, yeah he's kind of been sidelined at barcelona he's not really had kind of he's not really had um, much of an opportunity while he's been at the camp noon yeah and i've just felt that he's always felt kind of at home and he's thrived in the holland side so it's nice to see that he's come back he got a goal against america and hopefully he can be that vital star man up front um, yeah. who can maybe help them against argentina denzel dumfries was brilliant as well at right back
1: he was, he was good, yeah.
0: Yeah, he got two assists, I think, and a goal, so and a goal line clearance. So yes, he, yeah. He got mad of the match in that game. What, a, what a performance from him!
1: I think, uh, I think as well. Um, I mean, I was surprised Cody Gakpo didn't score this time. Well, yeah, he's, he's, he's he was all in our but, team,
0: wasn't he, of the group stage yeah, in the last podcast?
1: Yeah, but I think, well um, I think, I think Netherlands can. If, like I said, really, it's, you know depends how they do against Argentina because I know it'll be maybe a close contest. Um, but I reckon if they if they do beat Argentina, just maybe they they could advance to maybe even the finals. But I think, I just, like you
0: say, they might be a surprise. They might be yeah. the underdog, which is surprising because Holland are a massive team with such a a pedigree at the World Cup. Yeah. I mean, they've got to three finals in the past. But I think that it would be a surprise if they did go really far in this tournament.
1: I would say so. Yeah, yeah. I think I think um, now now they're in the quarterfinals against Argentina. I think from the quarterfinals onwards, they're going to be seen as underdogs. Yeah.
0: yeah. But uh, moving on to the next game, France versus Poland. And basically, I was made to look a fool because <laughs> I didn't put Kylian Mbappe in my Road to Qatar uh, yeah. grouped, you know, group team of the group stage. And it kind of came back to bite me because he scored two absolutely perfect goals. Two he's now got, goals. He's now got, in total of all the World Cup appearances he's had, nine goals at the tournament. Now, that's level with Cristiano Ronaldo. That's level with the likes of um, Lino Messi. He's up there with the best, the greatest, Diego Maradona. Um, he's got five at this tournament already. What a tournament, Kylian Mbappe's is having!
1: He's having a great tournament. I think you know the the way at such a young age as well. He's got so much to do as well. Coming into more World Cup tournaments, there's no question. I can see him score more goals. I he definitely. I think he could easily just break the record. To be honest.
0: I think he's definitely going to be this this tournament's top scorer.
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I think
0: um, I it mean, all depends on whether he can get past England.
1: Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, who? who I mean, I'm I'm begging England can uh, stop him really, stop him from scoring. Well, that's
0: one of the questions I've got for you. Kyle Walker on the right for England, uh, Kylian Mbappe on the left. Obviously, going down that side. Yeah. For um, for France. Yeah. Who do you think's going to win that duel? Who do you think's going to come on top? Do you think that obviously they're both very very fast players? They're both very physical, very very elite professionals. Who's going to be kind of coming out on top?
1: I thing is, I do. I I easily want to say Walker just so yeah. I have a bit of confidence for England. I think that Walker will will. I think he'll stop Mbappe at times. But I feel as if Mbappe's got this certain um, like charisma just to easily get past players. He has this certain energy where he can just change pace like just like that. I think he's, I'm, 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 I can't wait to see it really. But I think uh, I if, think
0: the 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 priority for England has to be minimizing Mbappe wherever they can. Yeah. If Mbappe doesn't have a good game, I feel that France are out of that game, Absolutely, and I feel yeah. that England should dominate. But if he's thriving, if he's able to play to his strengths then England have got to fear because he, to me, is kind of crucial to the way this game can go. Exactly. He's the main
1: player to focus on, really. I think if if he ever does run past Walker and Walker can't catch up back to him, you have to rely on either Harry Maguire or John Stones. Oh, yeah. He's a
0: player that you need two players to come over. Exactly, I mean yeah. My only worry for Carl Walker is that he's obviously been suffering with an injury and he's only just come back. Yeah. So how is his fitness? How is, obviously... Um, his stamina at this point where he's not going to be at the top peak of his game and obviously he's playing against someone who at the moment is making football look like it's a playground.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, when England played against Senegal, uh, I remember uh, there's... I think it was Shmuel Asai who was running past Walker. Very
0: similar to Mbappe, is he? has yeah, got great pace, is, yeah. great um, drive kind of down that wing. Exactly. And with Walker
1: trying to catch her, I think he uh, just uh, uh, fouls him as he's trying to catch up to him. And I think, you know, if you do something similar to that Mbappe, he's going to cause problems. But I mean, when you look at other players you can try and defend, I mean, Trippier, he's not... As fast as Walker. No, no. But, which you, I feel like you probably need to defend against Mbappe really, but it's whether or not he can defend uh, any better. I'm and obviously sure. looking
0: looking kind of towards the quarterfinals, France against England, how good were England against Senegal? Because for me, they were, they were a surprise. Because think, for me, I don't know, I just thought that England weren't going to be this good. I thought that they were going to be strong favourites against Senegal. Yeah. I had the idea that they were going to, you know, probably scrape a win or, you know, just kind of get the the goal. But I didn't think it'd be as easy as it was. I mean, Senegal possibly played into England's hands at certain points, but Jordan Henderson, Jude Bellingham, um, Harry Kane, they for me were the three standouts. They were brilliant.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think they had a, I have to say, they had like a poor uh, first half an hour, really. Yeah,
0: they were very kind of that similar kind of gareth southgate football it was quite stale it was quite defensive and reserved but then all of a sudden we got the goal we got the breakthrough and then we kind of came alive after that
1: yeah i mean i think senegal were were pressing quickly against us in that first half but i think once we got those two goals the second half we seemed so much more comfortable yeah and i think when your team's playing football and they feel comfortable i feel like that's when you feel most confident that they're definitely going to get a win but I think yeah, we had a great performance against Senegal. Jordan Henderson obviously surprised everyone. He was a
0: very—he was a surprise that he actually got in the team because yeah, I was actually quite critical that he was in that starting eleven. Yeah, I thought, what's he honest. doing? You know, but I think what the ploy is from Southgate is playing Henderson in that deeper role lets Bellingham have more freedom, yes. and it actually plays to the strength of potentially England's star player. Yeah, I mean, what a tournament he's had. He's had Nineteen years of age. He's absolutely ripping up this world cup. He's arguably probably I would say the the most exciting young player at this tournament.
1: Yes, definitely. I think uh, what uh, you saw in that game against Senegal when he set it up uh, sort of almost set up the second goal with on the counter attack dribbled past his player it was like with ease basically and then oh, a yeah, brilliant yeah. pass to Foden on the counter attack with a two on one situation with Kane. I think he I feel like that's such a good thing to have as like a centre mid as well. He's such such a young age. He has so much confidence to dribble with the ball, even when he's off the ball, going into challenges. I think he's, he's yeah, he's, he's a, he's definitely a future prospect for being one of the what best players. What price tag the world. would you put
0: on him? Obviously, there's talk now following his performances at the World Cup that Liverpool are in for him, Manchester City are in for him, <clears throat> Juventus, Real Madrid, all the big players, Chelsea. Yes, but. What would you value him at? Because it's it's probably likely that Borussia Dortmund are going to want in excess. I would feel of definitely 100 million, you would say, yeah,
1: I think it'll be. I think it'll be over 100 million. I think it might
0: even I be think, 200.
1: You think 200? I, I
0: think, think it might be in the Neymar territory. I think that they might just think no one's having him. If you want him, you're going to have to pay the biggest price.
1: I feel as if um, I'd like to see how well he does against France first. That well, is, yeah, that's a good do question. Think he, I think he easily, his price tag will be over 100 million by the end of this tournament, wherever, whenever England get knocked out. I think he's just such a good player at 19 years of age. He's, and it's such a key thing to have as well with a young player who can actually just evolve even better than he yeah. already is. I just, I, I could probably see 100, 100 between 120 and 250 at the moment yeah. if they beat France. That's that's going to go up straight away yeah. if he plays well.
0: I mean, there's even talks. I think Liverpool. The rumor today is that they've made him a summer priority. Yes, that I've, yeah, to, I've heard they of that. they want to they want to sign him. Yeah. Obviously, they've got an aging midfield. The signing of Arthur this summer. Uh, sorry, this yeah this summer hasn't really gone too well. Henderson's now 32, 33. So they want to kind of have a primary now focus on signing Bellingham as someone for the future who they can integrate into that side and try and catch up with Manchester City again.
1: Yeah yeah definitely uh, I think that's the thing as well is having a, a few young players in your squad yeah, yeah. so I mean comparing Bellingham to Henderson I think there, there's a lot of differences really I feel as if Bellingham provides more on the attack, whereas Henderson obviously is more of a CDM really. Henderson's
0: definitely someone who's motivational, he's a leader in that exactly, team. Exactly, yeah. Both for England and for Liverpool, he's almost someone who's an influence in terms of what he does in the dressing room as well as on the field.
1: thing is as well, I can kind of see if, if Bellinger, if he does go to Liverpool and he is with uh, Henderson in the squad, I feel that way Bellinger can see Henderson as more of a role model yeah. and sort of...
0: Can, I think it worked for them as well because... Fabinho plays that anchor man in that kind of defensive role, yeah. which will therefore let Bellingham play that more attacking, um, free role further forward, which is where he's at his best, where he yeah. can influence the game, where he can get in behind defences, and where he can really open up the channels. Now, obviously, looking at that game, I'm going to press you. I'm going to ask you for the big one, which is what do you think the score is going to be? Or at least, who do you think is going to progress to the semi final? Is it going to be Le Blues or is it going to be? England.
1: It's got to be. It's got to be the three lines. I I think. I think. Um, What's the score? Oh, it's got to be a close one. I think it
0: is. Just... I think this game. I don't want to say. I don't want to scare everyone in the country. But I think it might be a penalty shootout.
1: I'm going to be terrified if it is a penalty shootout.
0: If if it's not a penalty shoot, I can just see it being a draw. That's my only thing. And I don't. No one really scores an extra time. So I feel that it's it true. might go to penalties. But. It it looks like a two one maybe I, it that's could be a, a narrow one.
1: I think it will be a two one win. I think it will be it will be one of those games where it's gonna be close. I think England. I can just see England having more. They'll have more possession. Yeah. I feel as if France maybe may, might edge it with like a few more chances than England by the end of the game. But I just think. I, it's really hard to tell, really, because it depends how well Mbappe does. I think if Mbappe yeah. has a bad game, I think England can, can win. But I just I hope everyone performs well with it. I'm going to say 2-1 yeah. England. And
0: obviously, linking with France, if anyone wants to check out Charlie's latest article on Olivier Giroud, um, you've wrote an article, haven't you? What's I it have, on?
1: yeah. It's uh, based on uh, Olivier Giroud uh, becoming the all-time France scorer uh, after their win against Poland. So, if you want to is that he on the, the
0: most underrated player of all time? Or at least not of all time, but is he <clears throat> extremely underrated, would you say? Because for me, I feel he's a player that's never been fully appreciated. You know, there was the reference from Karim Benzema a couple of years ago that he was a go kart compared to Benzema, who said he was something like a supercar. Yeah. Ultimately, he's broke the record and beat someone like Thierry Henry yeah. for France. He won nearly every trophy throughout his career. You know, he did very well for Chelsea. He was always someone that they could depend on when the likes of Maratta, Bashuai, Abraham were struggling. He was that experienced veteran who would score. He's gone and won the title in Syria with AC Milan. Yeah. He was, in my eyes, a, a superb super sub for Arsenal back in the day who would always come on and always deliver. And yet he never seems to get that respect.
1: Yeah, he's definitely I I can see him as underrated. I think this tournament proves how underrated he is. You got Benzema who obviously couldn't make the World Cup and he's he, Giroud's made such a difference. I feel like I feel as if people need to view him more as a better player. I think what he did for Arsenal I think was really good. I think I think it's, Chelsea, I what think what it is well. is that
0: a lot of people they're automatically attracted to players like Mbappe, Messi, yeah. who excite us, who entertain us, where they've got the speed, they've got the flair. Olivier Giroud, in my eyes, is that elder statesman. He's someone of more of a traditional number 10 or 9, where yeah. he's he's physical, he's got great aerial ability, great strength, but he gets the ball in the back of the net. And sometimes that can be swept under the carpet and overlooked, yeah. where people don't appreciate as much if you've not got that little bit of... Kind of special sparkle about you, yeah. and I feel that that is what ultimately Olivier Giroud does perfectly. But he just lacks the little bit of creativity.
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. I think that that's what I feel like. That's, like like you said, people look for like fast strikers, and I know he's not very fast at all. But if he he has such good finishing, and I don't think people see that enough. You know he's done it so many times with different clubs.
0: Well, I mean, look at the was it a Scorpion he scored against Crystal it's Palace? A scorpion goal, was, that? that
1: was brilliant. That's. Oh.
0: And then I remember, as a Chelsea fan, he scored an overhead kick against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. He did, yeah. Um, it was originally ruled off, for off out for offside, but then it was overturned. Yeah, well, I mean, he has got those moments in him.
1: He has. He scored on big occasions, like, well, I'm. I can't. Oh, I can't I'm going to say this. going to Break my heart. I Obviously, he scored in the 2014 well FA Cup final against Hull, City, Hull club, City. Which I don't like to go on about really since we were 2 but that He what does th- the score again, 4-2. Oh, stop it. 4-2. So it's 3-2. It was 3-2. Th- so three, three, we lost in extra time, but I really don't want to talk about that because I'll end up crying on this podcast. <laughs> but um, no, I, he just, yeah, I think he's, he makes such an impact. Um, on a team and I think people just don't see that enough and I think yeah he I definitely count him as the most underage striker
0: and then obviously looking at the last game that we've not mentioned um, Japan against Croatia I just really want to I want to kind of thank and also allude to the fact of how brilliant Japan have been during this tournament I was heartbroken that they eventually were eliminated by Croatia especially on penalties it wasn't the greatest penalty shootout from The Japanese, um, I think they missed three of their penalties. One, they scored. But they've just been such a nice team to watch. The fact that their fans picking up the litter after the games and just the brilliant atmosphere that they've brought into the stands. But also this sense of spirit and this sense of passion and fight from the players on the field. I mean, the performances against Spain, as well as Germany, were, were brilliant.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like they're one of the most entertaining teams to watch they like you know they come from behind uh, against Germany and Spain and they just in that second half they just realize that they need to make such a difference which they do i think overall they i to me i feel like they they've been seen as probably the dark horses i reckon
0: especially top in the group
1: um as well
0: i just i, I yeah, think there I was i think it. there was a strong sense especially from the japanese but also from some pundits and and people like myself where there was this belief that maybe Japan could go further than they did i certainly thought that they could surpass croatia i, I felt that so, they were yeah. very unfortunate it was almost in in the second half and in extra time especially they seemed to have put that much energy into the first half with getting that opening goal that they kind of ran out and then yeah. they sort of faded towards the end of that game but i mean i can't really blame them because if you look in the germany and spain game and even the croatia not croatia and even the costa rica game they put everything into those games they do they do and i think that they they are almost this example now of where smaller teams the the so-called underdog they can pull off surprises and they big teams there's not that much of a gap anymore
1: yeah exactly i mean it's like it's sort of similar to looking back to when they were against belgium in the last world
0: cup oh that was another one where they should have probably got to the quarter final yeah would you believe that Japan have never actually got to the quarterfinal of a World Cup?
1: I, I mean, if if you told, if you said, if you asked me that question before the World Cup started, I would have just thought, no. I, I feel like I probably would have said they'd probably come third in the group stage.
0: Well, surprisingly, I didn't actually put them in my article of top five underdogs. Yeah. I, I they were in my kind of, they were in my thoughts, but eventually they they didn't make my top five, and then looking back. They, they definitely should have been in that I list mean, because they've been superb. Um, some of the players, obviously, we spoke about them last week as well on the podcast. Yeah, Ritsu Doan coming off the bench. You've mentioned him. You put yes, him in your team. Yeah. He's been brilliant. Uh, Maeda of Celtic, I think that he's integral to the way that they play. He doesn't always score that many goals, the forward, but his work rate and his... Just the way that he kind of closes people down and he kind of just runs about that pitch is brilliant. Yeah. And another player that I'm going to mention is Maya Yoshida, former Southampton defender. I think he's now 33, 34. He's, he's quite old. Yeah, yeah he's, and, uh, he's playing in Italy, Sampordia. But he's just been absolutely superb. He's been a player that's looked like he's been in his prime.
1: I think, I just I just think that you, you look at uh, most of the Asian teams, you think they're just not going to progress very far. Yeah. But, this, this, I feel like this proves how good they can actually be. Like you look at Japan, you look at South Korea, look at Morocco. Yeah. They're all, they're all, you know, they're all teams where you think they're not going to go. that Well, I think far. this,
0: this has been a World Cup of change because yes. I believe I might be wrong, but I think this is the first ever World Cup where a team has not recorded um, three straight wins in the group stage. Yeah. Because no yeah. team got nine points. No. Yeah. In the group stage, for I believe the first time ever, um, and that to me just shows the sense of competition. And the sense of where the the playing field is now equal, Definitely. and obviously big upsets like Belgium being knocked out early on, um, Denmark were quite a surprise to not get out of the group stage, yeah. and smaller teams, you know, some of the biggest surprises, Australia making out of the groups, uh, Morocco topping their group. This World Cup, maybe it's the fact that it's in winter. Maybe it's the fact that players are struggling with fatigue, and maybe the sense of fitness isn't the same. Maybe it's just the sense that these smaller teams are becoming. You know, more um, kind of they've got better practice and they're more regimented in the way that they set up against these bigger teams. Yeah, but we're certainly seeing a revolution from kind of the underdog.
1: Yeah, I feel like I feel as if this World Cup in particular has been very unpredictable. Because you, I mean, you you go from all the teams which shockingly have gone out. You know, like Denmark, Belgium, Germany, teams who have gone through like Japan and Morocco managed to top the group stage. Obviously, uh, France broke the curse of uh, obviously being champions of the World Cup, managed to progress out of the group stage. Um, I just I just think this, it, I feel like this World Cup has definitely been a, a definite one to watch really. I feel as if everything that's happened in it is, is, is it's been a joy to watch really. Yeah. Yeah. The I mean, only yes. thing
0: for me is I just feel, I don't know what it is, I can't put my finger on it, but it feels like there's just lacking something. You know, with the yes, summer tournaments, yes. you've got this vibe, this... This atmosphere, this warmth—I'm just lacking that. Maybe it's just the minus two outside of Manchester.
1: It probably it just is, be that. Yeah.
0: But um, we're going to move on to a little little game now. Um, we're going to do—we're going to focus on England, and we're going to look at the past versus the present. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pick. I think I've got one, two, two, three, four. Five, I've got five players. Yeah. Um. Or sorry, five groups of players, and one row is of the the past, and one row is of the present. And we're basically just going to choose which one we prefer. So, the first one I'm going to start with is in goal. Yeah. And we're going to go with Joe Hart. Um, Obviously, he's now at Celtic. Yeah. He's been at Manchester City in the past. He's also been at Torino and West Ham. Yeah. And we're then going to compare him with now Jordan Pickford, who is England's number one currently of Everton. Yeah. So, who are you picking? Are you going with Joe Hart or are you going with Jordan Pickford?
1: Uh, Oh, God. Um... I feel as if, uh, from what I'm looking at uh, from progression-wise, I feel as if Jordan Pickford has done more for England than Joe Hart has, I think. I think you're right there. So I I'd go for Jordan Pickford, really.
0: Some people, I mean, you might say that Joe Hart has been in weaker teams and obviously yes, yeah. the current position of England under Gareth Southgate with this golden generation where they have potentially got the strongest squad we've ever had. Obviously... Yeah. There's the argument of the era with um, Beckham, Gerrard, Lampard, Terry. They should have done better. But ultimately, Pickford has been kind of helped by the fact that he's in a brilliant team. But I do think that Pickford has been more important to England compared to Joe Hart. I think they're very similar characters, actually.
1: I would say so, yeah. Yeah. They're
0: both kind of motivators, very vocal, very outspoken. They like to be very commanding. Um, and they're they're both not the best with their feet, but they're brilliant in terms of their reflexes and their reactions. Definitely, and yeah. uh, they're definitely both big personalities. But I would definitely agree with that and go with Jordan Pickford. I would
1: go, I'd go with Pickford. I think, I think, I mean, Joe Hart. I mean, he's been he's played for Manchester City. Obviously, he's been a Premier League uh, part of the Premier League champions. Jordan Pickford has been nowhere close. But I just feel like when you look at the two that uh, like comparing them when they played for England. I mean, I've I've got a few stats there. Joe Hart's currently had 43 clean sheets out of 75 appearances. At the moment, Jordan Pickford's on 49 appearances and he's had 21 clean sheets already. And some of those have, have already
0: come from tournaments in the world. That's Cup, surprising Euros. for me just how many appearances or caps um, Joe Hart actually got for England. Yeah, I it, thought he had more, to be honest. Did you? I, 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 felt I didn't feel he'd been. I, I kind of, you know, I remember him twenty fourteen, 2014, uh, 2016. I believe he possibly was. He was in 2012 as well. 2012, 2012 yeah, year was his first two, tournament. Yeah. I don't remember him at 2010 in the no. South Africa World Cup, but it doesn't feel like he had that long a stint, obviously, until. It feels like Pickford's been there for an eternity. Yeah. But obviously, he has actually. Now you say it, he probably has been England's number one Joe Hart for a longer time than I thought.
1: Yeah. I think. Um, I feel like uh, Jordan Pickford has sort of. He's he's basically. I feel like he's took Joe Hart's role in some sort well, of yeah, way. Well, yeah, because I
0: think there were there were tournaments or at least games where Pickford was below Joe Hart when Joe Hart was kind of at the end of his England career. Yeah. Um. But obviously, then very quickly, Jordan Pickford established himself as that number one. Yeah. So we're now going to look at probably the hardest to choose between Wayne Rooney or Harry Kane. Now, this one for me is easy. I'm going to get a lot of criticism because I know there's a lot of Wayne Rooney lovers out there but Harry Kane is by far a better England player and more important no, to England than Wayne Rooney. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I'm quite biased, not only being a Chelsea fan who doesn't like Manchester United, but also the fact that I've I've never really appreciated or, or respected Wayne Rooney in terms of on the football pitch. Yes, he's got great numbers, obviously under Sir Alex Ferguson during the heydays of Manchester United where they won loads of trophies, but especially for England... Sometimes I wondered, how did he get this um, record most goals for England? A lot of them seem to be penalties. And I just feel that he's never really performed at the same level for England, Wayne Rooney, as he has for his club. Yeah. Especially when I think of maybe like 2014 World Cup, we lost in the group stage. Yeah. 2016, where he was the captain and we got knocked out (laughs) by Iceland. He's just never performed and been that focal talisman that Harry Kane has been for England.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh I mean Rooney he's he's only scored one goal in any World Cup tournament. He's had four he's uh, when he was at Euro two thousand and four he'd scored four goals before he got injured. So I don't know if that had maybe anything to do with it, probably not. But that I feel like the way Kane I mean Kane is much is bit well, Rooney came to the squad much younger he debuted at 17, and he's managed to bag 120 appearances, 53 goals. Harry Kane came into the squad at 21, and he's he's been in with England for six years already, and he's already at 52 goals, and he's one behind Rooney. Whereas Rooney's been in the squad for about oof, like over 12 years. I that's, just, yeah,
0: that's what I mean. I mean, I'm not always the biggest fan of Harry Kane. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I feel that he's in certain times where, especially when he had a period for England where I felt he was dropping back deep too much and yeah. that he was becoming more of a provider than a goal scorer. Yeah. But he seems to have revived that form. He always seems to come back and he always delivers for England. Yes. Um, and I just think that there was, there was periods during Wayne Rooney's career for England where I was there thinking, you're only in this because of loyalty. You're only in exactly, this because yeah. of your name. You know, you're, you're an undroppable player, but I don't actually think you should be in the team. Whereas with Harry Kane, even during his kind of bad moments, you know, at the last Euros, um, I don't think he scored until the knockouts. He didn't. So no. he has had periods, Harry Kane, but he's always generally come through in those big moments.
1: I mean, that's the thing. I feel like Harry Kane has made more of an impact in uh, tournaments compared to Rooney. Oh, as definitely. Well. Yeah. I mean, he scored more goals than Rooney in the Euros and World Cup. I just I don't see how how they thought Rooney was such a great player i mean he's obviously scored most of his goals in either friendlies or qualifiers yeah. which you know england easily able to pass really but i just i don't i can't I, I i'm just surprised really how rooney's managed to get on the squad so much i'd say and not make an impact
0: that's what i mean i think the early days i think he his position was merited and i think that you know his form for manchester united was amazing but when i look at especially you know the later tournaments when he, I think he had to diversify as he got older and he played more of a midfielder role and he played a little bit deeper. I just felt that his position in the England team was very vulnerable and that he maybe shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Now, obviously, moving on, another quite interesting one is Paul Gascoigne or Phil Foden. Can you remember Paul Gascoigne? He's I, I before do. our generation, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he's before our generation, but I do remember him. He scored that uh, great goal against Scotland in the... Era. Oh, what a
0: goal. Flicks it over the keeper... Oh, sorry, the defender, defender, and then volleys it volleys into volleys the net. Obviously, there's goal. the famous dentist chair celebration. Yes, yeah. Oh, so, who uh, have you gone with, Phil Foden or Paul uh, Gascoigne? It's,
1: it's the last thing, it's a difficult choice, really, because Gascoigne's only played in two tournaments for England. He's only played in the World Cup in 90, in, uh, 90 and Euro 96. Phil Foden is, he's 20, is he 22,
0: is he 21? 22, I believe.
1: 22, and he's already in. Played two tournaments.
0: The big thing I feel that separates these two is I think they are both quite um, outlandish characters. They're both yeah. quite rebellious. And obviously, um, Paul Gascoigne, arguably he destroyed his potential with off-field issues such yeah. as drug abuse, alcohol abuse. The media also targeted Paul Gascoigne. Yeah. But on the pitch, he was someone who was a game changer. He was someone who could turn defenders inside and out. He would give them that moment of magic and he would bring the crowd alive. And for me, that is what divides him from Phil Foden because yes, yeah. Foden's amazing for Manchester City and he, he delivers, but I've never had this sense of, wow, when I've watched Phil Foden yeah. in an England shirt. He's never, ever progressed and he's never seemed to kind of have a game-changing moment where I've gone, Phil Foden is integral. He's amazing to England. Definitely, for me... Yeah. During this era where we've got so many kind of Jack Grealish, Mason Mount, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden's disposable in this team. He could sit it out and we'd still win. We'd still go to a final. Yeah. Paul Gascoigne, during his era, he was integral to that team. He was the heartbeat. He is why they nearly won Italia 90. And yeah. that's the difference. I feel that Paul Gascoigne had such so much more of an influence in that England team.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, Foden, if we look at this World Cup, uh, I mean, he did. He performed quite well against Wales. He did perform well uh, against uh, Senegal as well. But I just think Gascoigne makes that difference, really, in my opinion. And I feel like that's all, why I want to go for him. But I think, I mean, he made three assists in the World Cup as well uh, in uh, 1990. And I just think, I mean, when he played for like Spurs as well, he was such a key player to have. I just think might, I'd have to go with Gascoigne. Yeah, I think I would. It makes sense.
0: Another one now then is Theo Walcott or Raheem Sterling. Now this one might be a little bit simpler. I'll let you go first. Who are you going with?
1: I'm. I'm probably. I was a bit unsure at first, but I'm probably going to have to go with Sterling. Yeah, I just yeah. think it's just he's he's done he's done more than Walcott has. Uh, I feel that for England. I
0: feel Theo Walcott is a player who hasn't ever fully lived up to his potential for England, especially. Definitely. Even yeah. at Arsenal, um, he struggled with injuries. He's been very inconsistent. Um, he had. A, I feel like he was one of these players who had a brilliant outburst as a young player. When he first broke out, he was the next big thing. He performed so well, but then kind of similar to Deli Alley, but not on an extreme level. Yeah. He's kind of faded towards the peak of his career. Yeah. Um and I do think that especially for England, Theo Woolcott's time was very short. Um whereas Raheem Sterling, he gets a lot of criticism, he does get, you know, a lot of abuse, but actually he's always performed for England and he's most importantly done it in the big tournaments.
1: He has, yeah. I feel as if uh, he was so unexpected when, uh, when when we came into Euro uh twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one, uh he made Everyone was surprised the fact how he managed to bag in three goals. That's what I mean. Yeah, that is such a surprise. I feel as if Walcott. uh, I mean, he he never really did a lot for England. I'd say. Yeah, that's what I mean. Tournament and only scored one goal, uh, which is against Sweden.
0: I feel he was a player who was depraved of his best kind of moments because of injury.
1: Yeah, I feel as if people would see Walcott as like the second. Player like second uh, choice as if like a winger, I'd say.
0: Whereas for me, especially under Gareth Southgate, Raheem Sterling is the nailed-on number one. Yes, you know, yes, you could say currently right now with the emergence of Phil Foden and obviously Raheem Sterling, he's had to leave the squad temporarily because his house was burgled. Yeah, but um, I feel that he may be his positions in jeopardy right now. But he's always been a key player for Gareth Southgate, (laughs) who's gained a lot of loyalty, who's gained a lot of support. And he has, to be fair, he's delivered. He's scored big goals. And even when he was a young player and he first got into that England team, he was kind of this breath of fresh air with his speed, his dribbling, and the way that he just ran at defenders with this fearlessness.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I mean, there's so, in some sort of way, they are very similar
0: to each other. Yeah, yeah.
1: They very much are. But I, I feel as if Raheem Sterling, if we... I mean, you just sort of just compare, really. The...
0: Even their club careers, I feel the... that Sterling's had a stronger one. Because, yeah, definitely. You know, he broke out of Liverpool. He was this young prospect. He was nurtured and refined by Pep Guardiola yeah. and became this goal scorer at Manchester City. And now at Chelsea, he's hoping to continue that. It's not been the best of starts, but he's still at much higher a level.
1: I would say so, yeah. I feel like Walcott had probably five years, maybe, of yeah. like, a good, good career before it just sort of, Went a bit downhill with really. it. I feel as if Raheem Sterling is uh, ever since uh, when, well, I think his last season with Liverpool, and then when he went to Manchester City, I think he's just kept like the same good level that he is. Yeah. I mean, Chelsea, I don't know if he's performed very well, I'd say, really. But I,
0: I think he's shown glimpses, he's shown moments, but it's hard to tell because we've obviously had the change of manager. Graham yeah. Potter has come in. There's been a lot of rotation, there's been a lot of kind of. Um, experimentation from the new manager and we've not really got a grasp of where Sterling fits into the team yet and his best position. But he hasn't necessarily hit the world a light. He's not been brilliant and there were people saying, should he be in the England squad? But I don't think that was ever under kind of any uh, scrutiny. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, now moving on, the last one on the list, um, which I think is quite an interesting one because I suppose this one could divide opinion. Uh, Leighton Baines versus Luke Shaw.
1: I mean, this one's interesting, really, because, uh, I mean, sure, this is his third uh, tournament. Uh, he he was, uh, got, he was in the World Cup 2014, but Baines uh, sort of had like an advantage over him. Yeah. I think he was playing a bit more better, really.
0: Uh, in my eyes, there's, there's two things that separate this. And it's, are you looking at it from who is the best England left back? Yeah. Or are you looking at it as who is the best left back? Now, in terms for England, who has been better and more successful, it has to be Luke Shaw. It has to be Luke Shaw, Because Leighton Baines was always in the shadows of Ashley Cole um, during kind of his peak, uh, whereas Luke Shaw has kind of had his position solidified. He's been that starter. Yes, he's, he's kind of been in and out. As you spoke, he was at the 2014. Did he miss the 2016?
1: He he did. He wasn't in the twenty sixteen. Yeah. Um, uh, then
0: he's. I think he missed the twenty eighteen. He missed the twenty eighteen. Yeah, one because as well, Ashley yeah. Young was there. So obviously Luke Shaw's had to work hard, and he's been in and out. But if you look at what he's done at the Euros, who arguably he was England's star player. I think he was player. England's best player at yeah. the Euros. Yeah, and then obviously he's now having a very good World Cup. I think he's achieved more and gone further in tournaments for England than Leighton Baines. But if you asked me, who in terms of a footballer and a player? Leighton Baines, for me, was superb. Yeah. you know He was a penalty taker. He was technically gifted. Good free his, kick taker. Oh, his left foot, it was magic. But um, I don't know in terms of Leighton Baines as a defender and what his defensive capabilities were. But he was brilliant to watch. He was a brilliant entertainer on the field for Everton.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's the difference is that. Luke Shaw seems to be like he's a better defender, like d- defensively-wise. But I feel as if Leighton Baines... Had more, gave more options on the attack, really. But I mean, Luke Shaw, he scored more goals uh, for England than Baines. And Baines has only had one goal for England. Shaw's yeah. had three goals, and he's done it in less appearances than Baines has. So you could look at that and think, oh, well, on paper, Shaw's probably the better player. But again, Leighton Baines has provided a lot for England. So it's hard to really give an answer, I suppose. Yeah, definitely.
0: I would have to go with Luke Shaw just on kind of his importance to that England squad. I would say so, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So that's it from this podcast. Um, Obviously, we've looked back at the round of 16. Next week, potentially, could be our last one. Um, We're going to be looking at, obviously, the reaction to England versus France and the semi-final. Um, Looking forward to that. Um, So thank you very much for listening. Uh, You've been listening to me and Charlie during this podcast. Um, If you do want to, obviously, we'll post our England past versus present discussion and you can comment on that and choose whether you agree with our decisions or not. Um, but that's all from us. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay, see you. A bit.